0: Well, this morning we're uh, going to be starting an interesting, unique journey. Let me get this pulpit over here quickly. Duty of bringing this here for a few weeks means I don't have to ride it at home. <laughs> a while back, my wife has kind of been getting after me about getting in shape a little bit. And uh, so it took about two months to do some research on what I should do to get in shape. Finally, after some serious negotiation about what was a fair price, what was a good investment level, decided to buy an exercise bike. The problem with buying an exercise bike is that you find out really fast how out of shape you are. Because this thing doesn't have a manual setting on it. So I had to unplug it this morning. Because it was plugged in, you've got to go through one of the programs that's in it. And let me tell you, these programs are not just like light biking down the Sioux Falls bike trail. When I mean, you're going up the mountains, the big, tall mountains. So you get about seven minutes into it, and you're like, I'm done. I haven't finished one of the programs yet. But it's crazy. Once you start going and you start getting it, that's when you realize really how unhealthy you are. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been doing this thing called Notice the One. And the whole idea was to get into this place where we as a church said, you know what? We've got to be in the people business. We've got to be in the business of seeing people because God wants us to reach people. And so as we've done that, there's led to a lot of interesting conversations with a lot of you via email, text, phone, in person. And one of the interesting things that's bubbled to the surface, I think, maybe in all of us, not sure, is this. When you're all of a sudden reaching out to people and wanting to help people, you can become aware really quickly of how unhealthy you are. Because all of a sudden, you can realize, like, well, who am I to help them? I've got the exact same issue. Or all of a sudden, when you start thinking, I want to reach out, but what's causing the slowdown is, well, I can't really reach out until I'm in a place of health. And so as we begin to develop this mindset of notice one, we also have to be mindful of what? That what's in us is going to pour out into the people around us. If I asked you this morning, what's going to come out of my exercise beverage of choice? What's going to come out if I open this this morning? Wow. Ushers, ushers right there. Nothing good. Let me tell you what's going to come out of this. Pure green gold. Oh, man. There was no doubt this morning, right? You can see right through it. Nobody was probably doubting that what's going to come out of that bottle is Mountain Dew. That's the beauty of buying a bottle. You see it, you know exactly what's going to come right out of it. This morning, though, if I asked you, what's going to come out of you if you were poured out? What would come out? The challenge for us is that we're not a clear bottle. You have no idea what's going on inside of here. I have no idea what's going on inside of there. But if you were going to be poured out this morning, what would come out? Or actually, let's just deal with reality. What's coming out every single day as you're interacting with people and as you're going through life? Because every day, our lives are being poured out. Is it health? Is it that which would bring well-being to the people that are around us. I guess to start, though, we've got to ask the question, what does it mean to be healthy? And so this morning, we're going to look at a variety of scriptures. They're going to be on the screen for us. What does it mean to be healthy? Well, healthy is not perfection. A lot of us have that view in the Christian world is that I'm supposed to be perfect. But the reality is this. God doesn't have the expectation of perfect. Here's what he has. He, we who are healthy have our whole being reflecting the character and the purposes of God. That's what it means to be healthy in the Christian walk, is that who we are as our person, our mind, soul, body, and spirit, reflects the character of God and we reflect the purposes of God. That doesn't mean we do it 100% of the time perfectly. But to be healthy, that's who we are. So I want to run through a variety of Scripture passages to show you this truth, where it comes from. Let's start in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, the Bible kind of tells us about creation. The whole point is saying, hey, God is the owner. God is the creator. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The whole point here, the whole emphasis is that God is elevating humanity to a different place than the rest of creation. So the rest of creation was talked about before this in Genesis 1, and now it's basically saying, hey, humanity is different. What what makes humanity different is that humanity is created in the image of God, that we're supposed to reflect the character and the traits of God. Now let's turn to Jesus and what Jesus has to say in the book of Matthew. And what we see here is Jesus saying to the religious leaders, what is the most important law? What law summarizes everything? And so it says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So Jesus is saying, hey, this is the one law that summarizes all of the laws that I've ever given you. And here's what it is. With your whole being, your heart, your soul, your mind, and the other places it's recorded in Mark and Luke, he talks about with all of your strength. Very simply put, with your whole being, love God. This is the summary of the law, which you could say is the perfect reflection of what God desires. So God desires that our whole being would be in love with him, would love him and reflect his purposes. So let's now go on to the rest of the New Testament and the book of Ephesians. And what we're getting here is we're getting a sentence that hopefully gives you a glimpse, returns us again to why humanity exists. And it says this, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is in a passage in Ephesians 4 where it's reminding Christians, saying to Christians, Hey, let me tell you what you're supposed to be about what you're supposed to be about is putting to death this old stuff, and now you're supposed to be putting on this new life after forgiveness in Jesus. And this new life is what? The image of God. You're supposed to be putting on this new self, which is what? To reflect the image of God. I hope you see this going back to Genesis 1 here. Because basically here to summarize it this, the Bible's this. Genesis 1, everything is good. After that, we, humanity makes mistakes. Everything is bad. Jesus comes, forgives us through the cross, and the point is to restore us back to Genesis 1 and 2 where we reflect the image of God again. So the purpose of humanity, we're healthy when what? We're reflecting the likeness of God. And let's look at 1 John chapter 3 once. This emphasizes the journey that we're on. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is reminding us that right now we don't see Jesus Christ in fullness, and we ourselves are not perfect either. The Bible word for this is glorified. It's basically saying, hey, when Jesus comes back, when you see him like he is, then guess what? You yourself are going to be glorified. This is the emphasis here. This is a journey. It's not about perfection. It's about what? It's about being on a journey of becoming who God created us to be. Again, let's reflect on that definition of health for a moment. To be healthy is to love God with our whole being. To reflect the image of God with who we are. To reflect the purposes of God. And so if we're going to pursue health, we have to, with our whole being, reflect the image and the purposes of God. The reality is this. If you looked in each of us and if you saw what was coming out of each of us, it's not always the image of God. The best way to describe the image of God is to look at the fruit of the Spirit because the Spirit is God. And so what the Spirit produces is the character of God. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. And so if we're healthy and we're reflecting the image of God, that's what's going to flow out. The reality is, though, that's not always what's flowing out. What's boiling within you today? Or what has seen come out of you? Angst? Discouragement? Lies? Guilt? Anger? Resentment? If you looked in each of us, there's a bundle of that that's boiling or that's just residing within us. And oftentimes it rears its ugly head at inappropriate times because you can't keep it stuffed for so long. So if we're healthy, we're going to reflect the Spirit of God, the fruit of the Spirit. But many times we've got angst, guilt, discouragement. Why is that? Why is it that God created us to reflect His character and yet, a majority of the time, we don't. This morning, I want, I want to share with you two things that I, I believe rob us of our health. What is robbing us of our health? Two things happen to every one of us, every human being throughout their life. Those two things, the first is this. At some point in your life, you're hurt. Someone does something to you, right? Someone says something to you. Someone physically does something to you, or what? Someone doesn't do something that they should have done. You're hurt. They sin against you specifically. It happens to every single one of us. And so then what happens? Well, when somebody hurts you, I don't know about you, but I don't like it, right? It's not like, oh, please keep saying those bad things. Please keep pitying. It doesn't happen, right? And so initially there is that anger towards whoever hurt you. Guess what? That's normal. Guess what happens to God when God is sinned against? God gets angry. It says that in the Bible multiple times. God gets angry. The question is not will we get angry? What do we do with our anger? Where is it channeled? What is the end result? of that anger. For many of us, once we're hurt, it leads to this, bitterness. Or another way of thinking about it is resentment or angst against another person. I would contend this morning, this is the number one killer in the church world. You want to find an unhealthy church? I can walk you all the way back to the beginning, and I can almost guarantee At the root of it is bitterness, is resentment or angst against another individual, against a leader, or against someone that has not been resolved in a healthy way. So what happens? We become bitter. That leads to separation from individuals. It also leads to what? I'm going to pull back from God. I'm pulling back from God because I know what's within me doesn't match up with what's in God. We just got done praying the Lord's Prayer. Some of you have prayed this hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. In the Lord's Prayer, forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. This is the one sentence throughout the whole Bible, I would contend, that that is maybe the most difficult to understand and trips a lot of people up, that, The forgiveness I receive from God is dependent upon the forgiveness I extend to others. That's the literal reading of it. That's not what's taught throughout the Bible in consistency. What's taught throughout the Bible is this, is that if I've been forgiven by God, I'm going to forgive others because anything else is inconsistent. If you have an apple tree and you walk out and you're like, wow, that's a really nice orange. I think we'd all agree what? something's wrong with the apple tree and so if you have a Christian who's not extending forgiveness the Lord's prayer is screaming there's something wrong with that Christian because at the heart of Christianity is forgiveness and this is so critical to remember what does forgiveness imply if I come up to you and I say I forgive you it implies what you've done something wrong So you're not glossing over it. You're not like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Don't worry about it. You didn't do anything. No. When you extend forgiveness, you're saying, yeah, something was done wrong. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm releasing you from the punishment of what you've done wrong. So many of us have been wronged, and it sits. And then it creates bitterness. Bitterness comes, and it just rots away the soul. There's something else we're guilty of in the church when it comes to bitterness. That's passive affirmation of bitterness. So many of us Christians struggle with very simply with this. Minnesota nice. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say Minnesota nice? You know what needs to be said, but you don't say it. Here's what happens in the church Someone has so much resentment and angst they're sharing with you. Here's the Christian response in the church. Hmm. yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'd feel that way too. Yep. Do you know what you've just done for about a minute and a half? You've affirmed them that what they're feeling is right and good and deserving And they can stay that way because that's the way you would stay. Even though you know what, this is really unhealthy. But you don't want to say anything. It's passive affirmation, it happens all of the time. Rather than just saying, you need to deal with that. That's inappropriate. Now, that's really, really hard to say. But let me tell you this morning there's no neutral. There's no neutral. You're either affirming someone in it or you're encouraging them to step out of it. Neutral is affirmation. We need to encourage one another to step out of it. The number one thing taking us on a detour from health is bitterness. The second, num- second thing that takes us on a detour from health is something all of us experience in life, and that's grief. And this is a hard one because, again, grief is not a bad thing. But every human being in history, every human being, at some point in their life, experiences loss. It can be lost on a variety of scales and a variety of magnitudes. But at the point of loss, there's grief. That's normal. That's expected. It is not condemned in the Bible. The challenge is this. The vast majority of time, grief leads to separation separation leads to unhealthy production of our character and our being. So so what happens in the world is this. People grieve, they pull back from their normal things, and they actually never deal with their grief because what do they do? They replace it with something, right? If I'm going to try and give up this green beverage, which I'm not sure why anyone would do, but if you're going to try and give this up, the world would say this, hey, just replace it with something else. Instead of being addicted to this, be addicted to something that's a little bit healthier. So that's how we handle our grief a majority of the time, right? We lose something, we replace that loss with someone or something else without ever really dealing with the initial grief. And so it actually remains with us the whole time. And we have a new level of separation with whatever or whoever we've replaced that with. This is a challenge. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, We who are in Christ do not grieve like the rest of the world. Grief cannot freeze us. If we're frozen because of our grief, we are grieving in a way that's dishonoring to God. God asks us and receives our grief, but God asks us, encourages us, commands us, to step beyond our grief into a place of health. In both of these instances, bitterness and grief, what's at the core is the P word, pride. Because in both instances, it requires acknowledgement and engagement with another human being. Bitterness and wrong, it takes acknowledgement to go to that person and also go to someone else and ask them for help. Grief, it takes acknowledgement to someone that this loss is really affecting me. And that's hard. For many of you, that's really, really, really hard. But if you want to pursue health, if you want to get out of the detour, that's oftentimes robbing us of health. It requires another person. It requires another individual. A couple years ago when we bought our house that we're living in now, the individual that lived there before had a huge garden behind the garage and just massive, grew a little bit of everything back there and had this elaborate sprinkler system and, and all this. When we grew it, I'm like, I'm not going to start a garden. There's a high right down the street. And so... It's kind of like, get rid of the garden, right? Well, I got rid of the garden. But here's what happened kind of behind the garage. The, the garden's flat. Right next to the, gr- the garden is kind of the, not a wall, just kind of the territory goes up to my neighbor's lawn. So what happened is anytime it would rain, the water would just come right over to kind of that hill, lay right there, which used to be vegetation and stuff that would eat that water up, right? Well, now what happens? The water just sits. So we've been living there for about... Three years? I don't know. Four, five. Thank you, honey. Five years. Five years. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Won't ask how long I've been married. Five years. Um, Been living there for five years. And now, in the back of our garage, what do we have? We have a big hole. A literal hole in the side of our garage. Because that water has sat there. And what does the water do? It rots the wood that it's sitting next to. This is the exact same thing. That's happening in the heart of so many of us. The wrong or the hurt and the loss is just residing in our soul and our heart, and it's slowly rotting us away. Are we going to deal with it? Are we going to remove the water? Are we going to acknowledge the hurt and the loss Because guess what? The central events of Christianity are two things. Two things. Easter weekend, what do we celebrate? The cross and the resurrection. Right? What does the cross bring? The cross brings one thing, the forgiveness of sins. And what does that deal with? Bitterness. The resurrection brings one thing. What does it bring? Hope. What does hope do? It overcomes grief. The central events in Christianity that make us Christianity, that should define us, should overwhelm our loss and our hurt so that we can return to a place of health. What is health? Health is having our whole being reflect the character and the purposes of God. What's robbing us of our health? Bitterness and grief. So what do we do? How do we restore our health? Well, it begins by starting some new habits. However difficult this may be, some of you need to buy an exercise bike, figuratively speaking. I've got one for sale after the service if you're really interested. (laughs) So how do we pursue health? I want to share with you this morning three habits that I believe are completely neglected in the Christian church and have just been left on the wayside and the fruit. Is seen in the pudding. The first is this, is meditation. Meditation. When I say meditation, now be careful. Some of you are thinking Oprah meditation, right? Oprah meditation is just kind of sitting there like, hmm, I got to find this truth and look inside myself until I find something that I like. That's not biblical meditation. Meditation is encouraged in the Bible. Psalm chapter 1, it says this. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. This is found throughout all of the Psalms. I'd encourage you, find it everywhere. It talks about meditating upon God or the ways of God. To meditate is not to sit with an empty mind, but is to reflect and remember the word of God. Too many of us treat Christianity like a microwave. It's not a microwave. It's a crock pot. Here's what you have to do. When you read your Bible, it's not like, well, nothing in it for me today. I'm done. You read your Bible, you've got to think about it. you got to take a few moments and reflect upon it. What is it revealing about God? What is it revealing about the purposes of God? And you got to reflect, okay, what would it look like in my life if I implemented those things? Meditate upon it. Some of you, I know, I've dealt with some of you on this, you feel guilty that you don't have a lot of the Bible memorized. I'm here to tell you, there's no exam. There's no exam. No one's going to ask you at the pearly gates. No one's ever going to ask you in heaven someday, can you quote Job 9.17? It's not going to happen. I don't care how much of the Bible you have memorized. How much of the Bible do you have rememorized in your heart? What I mean by that is this. Do you know the promises and the purposes? That doesn't mean memorizing word for word where the comma is or where the period is or if it was what word. It's remembering the truth that was made known. So a very simple truth. The Lord is with me. It's taught multiple places all over the time. I've got to remember that truth. I have to pound it into my soul and my heart. Meditation. This is just odd, I know. But you want to deal with grief and bitterness? You've got to have the promises so ingrained in your heart that you've got weapons to fight it. Meditation, number one. Number two, more uncomfortable, confession. This has been completely lost, and partially for good reason. Because here's what we do in the Christian church. We go to extremes, right? there's certain segments of the church that still practice confession. Well, then there's certain elements of us, we'd be included in this, that believe that the way that that is practiced is actually biblically unfaithful, where confession is for the purpose of receiving forgiveness from God and where then your salvation is dependent upon making sure you receive that forgiveness. We believe and teach that the Bible teaches that when you're forgiven by God, you are declared justified, you are righteous, it's not this in and out thing, God covers you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and so the purpose of confession is not to go and hear a word of forgiveness from God, which we do need, but hear it this, it's not to hear a word of forgiveness so I'm saved again, it's to be reminded of what he's promised and what he's done, the real purpose of confession for you and I is found in James chapter 5. James chapter 5 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Okay, this is really uncomfortable. When is the last time you confessed a sin to someone else? When is the last time you confessed the sin to someone else? I would contend, not I, James chapter 5 contends, that this is an expectation of the Christian walk. Why? Why? Catch this now. The why is so important. It's not like God is up there like, oh, I just want them to remember. I want them to have to list it off. No, no, what? So that you may be healed. The purpose of confession is to bring it out in the light so you have someone that can come around you, encourage you, hold you accountable, walk alongside of you because you cannot do it on your own. If you think you can, you're sinning again. Confession, acknowledging your wrongdoing to a brother or sister in Christ so that you may be healed. Our health is being robbed because we don't have this simple practice in our life. So many of you came in here this morning And deep down, I believe that you believe that you're the only one struggling with whatever you're struggling with. Your perception of the majority of people in this room is a stained glass perception. When in reality, your view of the majority of people in this room should be a broken glass perception. That when you acknowledge your wrongdoing, there's not going to be laughter. There's going to be sorrow alongside of you that hears and receives we don't confess that we can hear oh it's okay that happens to everyone we confess so that we have someone that can say to us Jesus forgives you now let me pray and walk alongside of you meditation and confession and the third habit the third habit now we can have some fun okay lighten up a little bit everybody okay meditation and confession the third one celebration people 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 We are the, just, Christians should be partying more often. Now, some of you got the complete wrong picture in your mind when I said partying, partying, partying. Okay? Christians have more to celebrate than anyone else. And we should be bold about that. We should be pure bold about that, almost to the point of cockiness. We've got more to celebrate than anyone else. Why? it says in Philippians chapter 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice! I could put hundreds of verses up on the screen today. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. In the Old Testament, God mandated at least five, at least five festivals to what? Celebrate to simply party. People. You are horrible at this. Here's what we do, right? It's Sunday afternoon, we have somebody over for lunch, we have somebody over for lunch, and oh, we get down with lunch They're like, well, let's help with the dishes. And so then it's like, everybody's got to help with the dishes because what? You feel bad leaving the house if the dishes aren't done. Rather than just saying, you know what? Forget the dishes. Who cares what the kitchen looks like on Monday morning? But when was the last time you just had a Sunday? You just had a Sabbath? You know what? There's no schedule. We're just going to party all day long. Because you know what happens on Easter. You spend all of your time getting ready for Easter, and then what do you do? Spend all of your time delivering Easter, and then you spend all of your time cleaning up from Easter. You actually never celebrated because we've turned hospitality into a professional profession rather than an outflow of who we are. We have to party more. Get together and rejoice and celebrate the gift of life. Why? Because if you do not party, if you do not celebrate, you're going to find yourself on an endless trek for more and more and more. Because when you do not celebrate, you're saying this to God God, what I have is not enough, and you're not enough. But when you celebrate, what are you doing? You're just saying, God, this is awesome. Everything I got right now, God, is awesome, and you're awesome. Without celebration, we live in constant motion, needing more and more and more. When's the last time that you intentionally celebrated? We need to celebrate more. We need to party more that we can give God thanks and recognition for what he's done and who he is. So how about you, which habit, which habit do you need to begin to develop? Meditation, confession, or celebration. Close with these thoughts on the issue of habits. Most of you see these three habits like a vending machine push this button, and out comes this. I'll maybe go to the vending machine every once in a while. As long as we see habits, spiritual disciplines, as a little vending machine that I can visit every once in a while, we miss the whole point. God's not saying, hey, this is another to-do that you have to do. What God is saying is this. This is the way that I've orchestrated life. It's a way of life to be in relationship with people that you can confess your sins. It's a way of life to have time set up throughout your day where you can reflect upon the Word of God. It's a way of life where you can take a seventh day off every week and just celebrate. That's a way of life. No one has to tell me, Hey, Rich, make sure you watch the Super Bowl tonight. Right? It's not like a habit that you have to be reminded of. That's just a way of life that I don't even think about. You just do guess what? These things need to become just a way of life. This is how we live. We live in meditation. We live in confession. We live in celebration. Today, God is asking some of you to acknowledge your bitterness or your grief. Some of you, you just, it's time to open up. It's time to release that grief and that bitterness. It'll be a process, but you've got to start the process. Some of you today, you need to release that bitterness. About two years ago, I got a letter in the mail. letter in the mail was from an individual at a church that I attended, and some of you attended. I'm sharing this because I believe some of you need to deal with the issue that I had to deal with. Some of us came from a church where there was a big, big fight, and at the end of that, big, big fight came down to a very moment, contentious vote in all of this. And at the end of that, we're taking this vote, vote gets done leaving. Someone turns to me and says to me, huh, about time you'll be gone. Says to me like, whoa. individual who told me this was someone that I had, in a sense, supported, been alongside, shown up with you know, actually enjoyed being with at different times. it. I'm like, holy smokes, what did I ever do to you? Well, the moment that was said, that created a serious level of angst within me that I just despised. Not just that person, but I projected that on to a group of people. And I despised and resented The group. Well, about two years ago, I get a letter. Hey, I wanted you to know, I think things ended kind of poorly between us. And I miss you. Will you forgive me for how it ended? It was amazing the difference that that made in my attitude and now in my actions towards that individual and also a certain group of people. Sometimes no one's actually going to come forward and confess and admit it, so you just have to acknowledge it and deal with it without that confession or acknowledgement from the other party. This morning, some of you have got some resentment and bitterness towards previous church experiences. It's time for that to no longer control your view and your understanding of church as a whole. It needs to be released. You need to say, I forgive so-and-so or whatever system that brought that injustice or whatever and step into a new way of life. God desires for you to be healthy. And for you to be healthy is with your whole being to reflect the purposes of God and to reflect the character of God. And so I'm wondering, are you willing to start some new habits? Are you willing to engage in the pursuit of health? Because here's what's at stake. Here's what's at stake your neighbor. The one in your path. That's what's at stake. Because your unhealthiness is restricting you from being the instrument that God wants to use in your neighbor's life or in the person's life in your path. You're going to heaven. You can go to heaven grumpy and full of grief all you want. Is your neighbor going to heaven? And until you and I can deal with the underlying issues so we can be healthy people, We can't truly help our neighbors. So I invite you today to start some new habits. Meditation, confession, and celebration. Let's pursue health together in the weeks ahead. Let us pray. Everlasting God, we come before you this morning, and we acknowledge that oftentimes we've stuffed the stuff in our lives. Lord, we release at this time into your hands those losses and those hurts. And we pray now that you would comfort and redeem our hearts, that you'd restore us to health, that you, God, would give us the necessary discipline to establish some new ways of living. And so this morning, Lord, I want to pray specifically that you'd put on the mind of each of us which habit you want us to focus on. Lord, right now, put on the mind of each person one habit that you want them to develop. So God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.